The Sit Rep Podcast is sponsored by Black Sight Studio, the creators of incredible pre-color terrain. Whether you're looking for terrain in 28 or 15 millimeter, they have a wide selection just for you. No matter the type of game, Black Sight Studio has exactly what you are looking for. They have new releases all the time and their catalog continues to grow. So the next time you're considering new terrain, jump over to Black Sight Studio and you will find just what you need. Remember to let them know you heard from us. Black Sight Studio, the official sponsors of the Sit Rep Podcast. You are listening to the Sit Rep Podcast, your home for everything related to modern wargaming. Whether it's reviews, rules analysis, play-by-plays, hobby time, or even gameplay videos, we will bring it all to you. And now for your hosts. From England, we have Ralph from the Great White North of Canada, Chris, our historical editor, Big Jim Ariskany, and G, both from the United States. And now, sit back, relax, and get ready for the ultimate ride into modern wargaming. Hello, everybody. This is G, and I am with Ralph and Jim, and today we're bringing you the next exciting episode of the Sit Rep Podcast. It's been a couple weeks since we've talked to you, and we're back for more exciting news, gaming information, and our own informed-slash-educated, opinionated opinions. And uh, we are ready to rock and roll, so all you guys grab your cup of lifer juice. I've got mine. And let's d- dig right into it. So let's bring the other guys on board. Ralph, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Excellent. Jim, how are you doing down there in sunny Florida? Uh, it's funny you should say that. Um, the weather is finally getting nice down here. Oh, yeah. I know everyone else, everyone else is probably miserable right now, but uh, we're actually doing great. It's our first nice day. Our winter officially begins today. Oh. Yeah, look, yeah, lucky him. I've got rain <laughs> and maybe snow on the way so well we're uh just we're in our thaw it's a whole whopping 28 degrees so uh you know over the weekend it was down to like seven so that's fahrenheit for you people that use the metric system um i don't know what that is in metric celsius celsius metric whatever anyways for us uh you know mouth breathers uh you know it was freaking cold so there you go I was going to say, though, gee, if it's getting warm up there, wouldn't you soon be in T-shirts and shorts, you know? Uh, uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, so, guys, we are glad to be back with you. We've got some stuff to talk about, uh, some news. Uh, we're going to do a very brief overview of a rule set that was sent to us, uh, Contact Front. We're not going to do anything terribly in-depth because we have not all had a chance to review it. Um, but we're just going to give our first initial impressions. Um, and it's made by God's Eye Games. Is that correct, Ralph? I yep. think it is, yeah. Yes, it's got iGames. I've got it open in front of me. Okay. So. Um, so they were kind enough to send us a re- preview copy. Um, and then, Ralph, you were saying that the books are, are printed now? Um, on their Facebook page, they've been posting up some pictures and stuff. Um, and it looks like they've got the actual physical books now, um, which, uh, you know, looks really nice. It's a, it's a hardback book from what I saw the pictures. I could be wrong. Don't kill me. No, don't shoot the messenger, you know. <laughs> but um, so, yeah. It looks like they're ready to rock and roll. Okay. And, Jim, they are using some of miniatures from one of your favorite companies, uh, go-to companies, Caesar Miniatures. 
Um, yeah, uh, I've, I've had Cedar, uh, Caesar before. They're very, very reasonable. They're highly detailed. Um, the plastic is a little, the ones that I got, the plastic is a little soft. The barrels are very bendy and, uh, you have to come up with your own bases. But once you get past that, it's literally a quarter per miniature. And at 20 millimeter, um, I have some Marines, some army, some insurgents for Iraq and for Ukraine. Uh, yeah, they're great miniatures. So, you know, you can't really go wrong with them. Excellent. Are they plastic? They're plastic. Right? Yes, they're very, very soft, soft plastic. plastic. Okay. So um, just initial impressions. The book looks very nicely laid out. There's some nice full-color photographs of miniatures in action. Um, it's a, a rule set that takes place in Afghanistan, if you will. And it's basically the insurgents versus the coalition forces. And they do a nice tutorial in the beginning. Um, and they have weapons breakdown, some ranges to hit, charts. Um, I'm doing, like I said, a very brief overview. Ralph, do you have anything to add? You've had a chance to um, – I just – I mean I've had a skim through and yeah, you know, it's it's nice, nicely laid out. There's some nice tutorials. There's some nice examples of play as well, which I think help. Um, they've also got vehicle stats in as well. I'm just skimming through the book again here and the one that sort of caught me out straight away was they've got the stats for the jackal. Um so you know that it's not just two opposing factions without vehicles. They've got vehicles in there as well. So you know it 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 covers the gamut. You know there's rules for engagement. You know uh, breaching, opening mm -hmm. doors, things like that as well. So you know the standard sort of rules that we see in a lot of the miniatures games, things like uh, Sangin, Spectre, you know Ultra Combat when that finally um, makes an appearance as well. Yeah. Um, now this is a squad or platoon based game. Do you know? I'm trying to. I saw. I'm it trying to look because there's there's lists in the back of the book for um, like army lists. Uh huh. So they've got like worked out lists. I'm just going to cycle down that page. It looks like it's um the way it's, the way they've structured the books for the army list. It goes command platoon section one section two and platoon support. So it's a platoon pl size. Looks like it's platoon size, yeah. But okay. I'm assuming with them having the breakdown because they've got um the first sort of British army list is British forces invasion early insurgents Holmand battle group. So it's the Homeland Province uh -huh. 2001 to 2006. Um, so you've got you know platoon support. Uh, you've got basically two platoons and then the command or two sections and then the command command platoon. Um, so the command is four soldiers. Uh, sections one and two are four soldiers each. So that's um, that's twelve man and then your support on top of that. Excellent. So there's even a section on night fighting with NVGs, night vision goggles, for those who aren't familiar with that term. Um, there's intelligence briefings. Looks like you could do, you know, intelligence gathering ops. Um, you know, infantry. It, it looks pretty laid out. Like I said, guys, we have not dove into it deeply. Um, but I, my plan is, is that uh, Gaz is coming over from England. Uh, he'll be here next Friday. So the time of the airing of this podcast, Gaz, uh, our friend from England, um, a file member on Beast of War OTT, is coming to spend a week with us on Experience in American Thanksgiving. And uh, we are going to do a sample game of this. I have all kinds of uh, miniatures to use. Uh, I've got those um, 
Oh my gosh. I got so many. I got the Canadians um, from Full Battle Rattle. Um, I've got Americans from uh, Miniature Building Authority. Uh, what's that? Total Tactical Simulations. What is T? Yeah. Is it TTS? I- I'm sorry, Kirk. You can flog me later. Um, <laughs> Empress as well. You've got Empress and Spectre and all. Yeah, I've got, I got the whole wide range. So we'll yeah. definitely get a, a quick demo run through of this. We'll, we'll try and take some pictures, maybe even a little video, um, and we'll do a demo of this, you know, and, and put it up there. And then shortly after that, we'll um, get the guys on from God's Eye Games and get them to tell us the background on it. But uh, it looks like an interesting rule set. I know, Jim, you really haven't had a chance to. Did you get the file I sent you? Um, uh, I'll look at it in a little bit. Okay, no worries. Um, right. So that's where we're at with that. So th- just so you guys know, there's another rule set coming out in Moderns uh, based, again, in Afghanistan. Um, I'm assuming you could you know, make it Iraq, Syria, wherever you want to. Um, Uzbekistan or wherever. You know, so uh, you just, the Ukraine, Ukraine. I mean, that seems to be the hot topic right now for a lot of miniature companies is the Ukraine. Um, so we're definitely going to try and get that in. And uh, we're going to try and do some ultra combat modern um, as well while Gaz is here, because I've taken the week off and we are literally spending a week of gaming. So uh, that is our plan outside of cooking on Thanksgiving and shooting real uh, guns. So we're going to be doing a lot of pew pew sticks and uh, playing games. So um, I'm going to show them a good old American Thanksgiving turkey, pie, and guns. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the plan. Um, so other than that, any other news that we've heard? Um, I got a message. I don't know if you saw it, Ralph. Uh, Ultra Combat Modern. They're getting close to. Um, yeah on some of the parts of the project yeah i think it's still the miniatures which is the 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 sort of the sticking point isn't it with with them and stuff from what i I guess they had to get a new sculptor or something yeah they had to get a new american sculptor well they had to get a new sculptor who's based in the states to do the the american miniatures i think it is because the the russian part of that is being sculpted elsewhere yeah huh um, a different sculptor, but um, yeah, it, it, you know we we backed it. We 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 you we've spoiled, spoken to Colin. You know we know Colin. Yep. Um. So you know it'll turn up. You know what? I think uh, we need to schedule another update uh, with him. Yeah, I think we need to get Colin on. Um, because it, it, what's interesting is I think. We'll get Ultra Combat looking at when it's going to appear. We'll get Ultra Combat first, uh-huh. and then we'll then um I I'm assuming, and this is me making and a very big assumption is we'll get North Ag as well, uh, probably a couple of months after. Yeah. So at the yeah. beginning of the year, we're going to be there's going to be two new rule sets, if not before then. Yeah. Um, sort of hitting hitting the shelves, you know, one set. Cold War Gone Hot, which is the North Ashland Plastic Soldier Company stuff. Yeah. And then we've got sort of an ultra combat version of that, you yeah, know, I've, future war, shall we say. Yeah, if you guys hadn't had a chance to do the pre-order for North Ag, they had that um, tr- tremendous deal for a starter set that pretty much, I think, included everything that they were offering at that time in a pre-order 
bundle. Um, the rule book, both armies, um, the <laughs> Soviets and the uh, Brits. Um, so I ordered the whole kit and caboodle because it was such a great deal. So I'm yeah. definitely looking forward to that. And um, Jim, we got to make sure you get that book in your hands, you know, and uh, we need definitely get your eyes on that. And we got to get you up here so you and I, we could get some video going on that and uh, really, you know. More or less anytime. I just need to get a phone call. I mean, I got, I have a week off coming up. Uh, I mean, it's too late for this, but uh, I think I'm thinking about the same time you are, um, like the week before Thanksgiving, I'm going to be off uh, catching up on a lot of stuff. So, yeah, um, one thing about where I work is, uh, yeah, I got lots of time off. As long as I let people know a little bit ahead of time, I can take it more or less whenever I want. So Excellent. Yeah, I've been to three boot camps, so I can definitely make it up to Chicago. That's oh, definitely yeah. not a problem. Yeah, it might be a little easier getting here than Ireland. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, let's. Uh, we'll definitely have to talk offline and uh, get something set up so we can get some, you know, really serious gameplay evals done. And, uh, you know, why not, right? We got so much stuff Absolutely. to talk about. So you can, you can put them in your VR headset as well to fly planes. Oh, yeah. North Egg is um, North Egg is early eighties, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. It's about the same time period as Team Yankee. I was gonna say Team Yankee is mid eighties. Now that's not a terribly big difference, but there's gonna be some. Uh, I mean, for people who might be used to Team Yankee, you're gonna notice some differences. Yeah, because um, available, available. One of equipment. the interesting things I didn't get it um, was. Uh, an add-on pack for the Russians was a uh-huh. was a platoon of T eighties. Really? Okay. Yes. That's yeah. that's that's more to the mid eighties then. Okay. Yeah, there was there awesome. was an add-on there was an add-on pack of a Russian T eighty platoon. Yeah. Because you got T seventy twos in the in the the kit with a bunch of infantry. Um, the same with the British. You get the challengers. You get the the support, and you get the British infantry. And then one of the add-on packs for the Russians was a platoon of T-80s, which looked absolutely for the scale, being you know ten mil. Yeah. They looked, they looked absolutely. They did look gorgeous. Actually, they looked really good as a as a sculpt. Were there T-64s you know, in there somewhere, like in place of the T-72s, or is it? T-72s? I can't remember, but I can find out. Yeah. Hold on a minute. Uh, uh, yeah, North I is, remember. I'm I'm racing to get to the page myself. Okay. I didn't mean to cause a problem. No, no, no. I have everything <laughs> linked, so it's just a matter of getting to the link. So, where are you? Where is it? North Chuck. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, it uh, looks like a nice setup, and I like the scale. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not normally a big fan of. You know, small scale. I like my 28 millimeter, as everybody knows on the podcast. And Jim and Jay definitely know I'm a big Spectre fan. I like Spectre. I love their minis. I like the rule set. I think it's a really good um, rule set, you know. So um, that's me. But this came and I looked at it and I went, yes, I quite like that. It looks really nice. That looks, you know, for that type of combat. Uh-huh. I've, I've got a copy of Team Yankee here and, you know, uh, cards on the table. I'm not a big fan. Not a big fan of Team Yankee at all. Um, it just didn't appeal to me after I got the rule set. You know, I got it to see what it was like. Yeah. To see if it was worth it. So, Jim, currently Did feel. they okay. have T-80s, T-64s, T-62s, uh, Soviet motorized uh, rifle companies, BTR-60s, BMP-1s, and a BRDM-2. Yep. 
command vehicles. And yeah, that's because Northag is up against a different group of Soviet forces. They're up against a group of Soviet forces in Germany, and uh-huh. there's all Category 1 divisions. Those are the guys that are going to be carrying the T-64, not the T-72, which, believe it or not, the T-72 came out after the T-64, but the T-72 is a markedly inferior tank. It was originally designed just for export. Yep. They didn't want to use them. But then the, uh, something like the T-80s weren't coming out as fast as they thought. So some of the divisions in southern part of Germany and Czech Republic at the time, or Czechoslovakia at the time, um, up against uh, the Americans in the extreme south of Germany, the Americans would be up against a mixed bag. In the north, they would have been up against T-80s and T-64s. And in the south, there would have been some group of Soviet forces in, or central group of Soviet forces. These were guys in uh, – yeah, southern East Germany and um, Czechoslovakia at the time. And they would have been carrying T-72s, depending on when exactly in the 80s this theoretical war broke out. And what one of the th- I bring all this up because one of the things that impressed me about North Ag was here is um, – you know, uh, a, a company and a game system that's really paying attention to these kind of details as far as, okay, right now they have only the British, you know, available for NATO forces. What mm-hmm. kinds of Soviet formations are the British specifically going to be up against, depending on where they are in West Germany? All the different countries in, in NATO, had, and gee, I'm sure you can back me up on this, had very specific zones. Mm-hmm. They weren't just in yeah. West Germany in like this general soup. They're very specific zones of like, here's where the Dutch are going to be. Here's where the British are going to be. Here's where the Americans are going to be. They, you know, every year they would do the reforger exercises, um, return the forces to Germany, and they would, you know, pretty much play Team Yankee at one to one scale. And the West Germans loved that because they just tore up the countryside and smashed up all the roads, and tanks driving all over their gardens, and you know. But it, you know, it was part of NATO's defense at the time. It was, you know, the '80s were. A, a scary time. Yeah. And uh, North Ag was, uh, I mean, everyone pines for the 80s. Oh, I want to watch Stranger <laughs> Things. Dude, the 80s sucked if you lived through them, okay? Oh, come on. No, no. The day after the advent of AIDS, I mean, the 80s were not all that. I mean, the good old days weren't always so good. Let's just take a moment there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the, the 80s were scary, uh, especially if you were in the military. <laughs> um because, I mean, it wasn't a game back then. Right. It was, you know, this this could really happen. Um, and for a while, it really looked like it did gonna, it was going to happen. I'm yeah. kind of getting off track here. But, yeah, North Ag was definitely a game that I thought, again, I haven't seen the books yet, that really paid attention to these kind of details. I remember right on the cover, they have a big T-64 with the reactor bomber blocks. And I was just like, oh, yes. And um, one, of the, one of the first things that I thought Battlefront fixed after the initial Team Yankee release was they rolled out that Red Thunder, which included being T-64s, you know. Uh-huh. And then when you look at the cards, uh, I mean, okay, T- Team Yankee might not be everyone's favorite system or whatever, but when you look at the card for a T-64 and a card for T-72 in Team Yankee, yeah, they got it right. The T-64 is actually a little bit better in game values. They, they, they saw that, they did that correctly, and they made that correction or whatever. Uh, we were talking about this on on the stream the other day. Um, it's it's uh, you know the T sixty four is the tank you really want to be looking at. Yeah. Um, but as opposed to the T seventy two, and the the idea of T eighties is just great. That's they the don't even thing. offer T seventy two. No, because 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 right now they only have the British. Yeah. 
when they bring in the Americans and the West Germans, they might bring in some T-72s, depending on their... I mean, this is, you know, these are the guys who come out with Battlefront. I'm sorry, a battle group. Yeah. So mm -hmm. historical realism is a thing. Yeah. Um, even though this war never happened, they do look at the 80s the way the 80s were actually set up. And God forbid that war ever actually did start. This is the kind of thing that would have happened. So... Um, I would expect T-72s to make an appearance in uh, Northag when uh -huh. it's no longer Northag, when it becomes Centag. Yep. And you're looking at American 5th and 7th Corps, West German 3rd Corps, and some of the guys further south. And we get they, to talk uh, about the Fulda Gap. That's right on the road to uh, Frankfurt. Yeah, that's right yeah. through Würzburg. Yeah. yeah. I did get um, sort of based around this is the breach in the gap, you know, the kickstart of that. All right. Went out. Um they announced on their Kickstarter page today that they've started shipping that Kickstarter. Oh yeah. Um, so that's the you know the the hex based what if nineteen um, eighties Cold War gone hot. Um, so that's shipping or has started shipping, which is interesting because that's that's all um, sort of the same time period and things uh, that North Ag's based on. Uh, Based in um, the other thing as well, of course, is at the recording of this. Just so people don't know, is you won't be able to pre-order anymore. The pre-orders end this coming Monday for, for it. For what? Northag. Yeah, for Northag. Okay, well it's then that leads me to my next segment, Jim. You're going to help me with my new segment. It's called oh, okay. Let's Spend G's Money. <laughs> so I am on the North Hag page, and like I said, I already yep. bought the starter deal. Mm -hmm, which is a very good starter deal. It is very good. So it comes with the. Do you want to tell Jim what you get? Uh, you get the rule book, you get the T64 company, you get a motorized okay. rifle company, you get a BTR-60 right. company. You get so a, you've got one basic mixed arms forward element battalion there. Uh, BRDM-2 patrol. That's your command vehicle and your recon element. Then you get a chieftain troop. A mechanized infantry platoon and a scorpion troop. Oof. Plus, you're putting, a, you're putting a battalion up against a company, right? Isn't and then you've got the freebies as well. Have you seen the freebies? Yeah, Jay? you get a. It's, it gets even better. Plus, you get free spetsnats, attack op sultan. Woo, because that's going to do me a lot of good. Uh, striker troop and a BRDM one patrol. The sultan might help depending on how the rules work. Yeah. So. Uh, Battle group was heavily into uh, again. I know. I know we had that long discussion with Pierce. I know Northag is not completely based on battle group, but it's close in a lot of ways. Yeah. And command units play a big part in battle group because that's going to influence how many order dice you get and how those order dice get modified. And uh, nothing is worse, especially when you're playing the Soviets or the French. And I'm talking about World War World War Two. Um, I'm sure it's going to be this way with the Soviets and in, in Northag. Is you have more units than you have orders. Because they, you know, their command system was overly centralized. They, you know, the junior officers and NCOs weren't as well trained as our junior officers and NCOs. Yeah. And you can, you know, find yourself with 12 units and only 10 orders. And two of your units are just sitting there going, uh, we don't know what to do. I don't know why my soap <laughs> just became Germans, but um, <laughs> I need to quit with the accents. I, I'm disastrous with accents. No more accents. Um, that was the funniest part of our Fall Clips games. I tried to do a British accent and Dylan laughed at me for like 20 minutes. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I so having that Sultan, if it's a command vehicle, um, is, is I think going to help. It's going to give you uh, 
it's going to allow you to move your existing forces with more with more freedom. Yeah. But you know, like I said, I don't, I don't have the rules yet. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's because uh, you can buy the individual bits as well. Right. So the Tac Ops Sultan is one Sultan with a command group. Yeah, that's it. Attached. Yeah. So, so Tac Ops Sultan sounds like they're a British equivalent of like a M five fifty seven TOC. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Jim, should I have some T eighties? Um, yeah, well, it sounds like the Soviets have enough firepower, but if you're going for 1984 to five and then forward into the eighties realism, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. T-80s would be, um, so the British are up against a group of Soviet forces in Germany and it's not a perfect lineup as far as where the British are, where the Americans are, where the West Germans are versus where certain groups of Soviet forces are right. going into West Germany in 1985. Um, you're looking at three or actually really four basic big moves. I'm not going to talk about the peripheries because who knows? I mean, I'm just strictly, strictly with Western Germany. Yep. Move number one, they nuke the ever-living crap out of the North Sea coast. So Bremerschaven, uh, Hamburg, uh, all those cities up and down Brussels, uh, up and down um, Brussels is getting hit. That was NATO headquarters. Uh, all up and down uh, like Antwerp, all up and down the Dutch coast. That's all gone. Um, the first wave of nukes are hitting there, and it's because they want to shut down that coast. That's the only way that UK and US reinforcements are getting into the country. If you look at how Europe is laid out, right? So, are coming into Western Germany, they need to cut off Western Germany and perhaps the Low Countries from help from the UK and especially the US. They have to shut down those ports, and that's how they're going to do it. We actually have those plans. They're now been declassified. They're available on the internet if you know where to look for. There are these big either bombs or mushroom cloud icons all over these Russian maps. Second Guards, Tank Army, Third Shock Army. We see these arrows. We know exactly where they were going to go and what they were, you know, where their axes of advance were planned toward places like in like Bremen, Hamburg, and then further south towards Castle, and then eventually into the American zone further south. Um, Paderborn is in there. So you've got a lot of problems. Um, that's the first move. And then you've got three main uh, army groups, for lack of a better word, or, or groups of forces. Uh-huh. And that is a group of so our northern group of forces, northern group of Soviet forces, that is going into Denmark, the extreme northern part of Germany, and it's also a big operational reserve in Poland. That's the extreme north. I don't think the British are really going to be up against that. That's mostly. Um, uh, Germans, Dutch, and Danes. Then a little bit further south, you've got the British, I think, have a corps, and the, the Germans have another corps. I think it's German Second Corps. I could be wrong on the number there. They're up against group of Soviet forces in Germany, GSFG. This is the main punch. Believe it or not, they weren't sending their toughest stuff down by us and the Americans. Because in southern Germany, it's all mountains, it's all rivers. You've got the folded gap, but that's a 40-kilometer wide gap, and we're going to be able to defend that pretty well. Yeah. So that's where a huge battle is going to take place, but the Soviets were not banking on that. The Soviets' big bank was in the north against the British. The British, I mean, they weren't as tough as the Americans. They just didn't have enough money uh, compared to the American, uh, you know, defense budget or whatever, and even more um, of a factor against the British and again the Dutch and the West Germans, other people that were up there in that northern central part of Germany is the terrain that is open, flat terrain that's going straight through towards uh, I think it's Lower Saxony, and um, it's 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 a straight shot right to the Rhine and then toward or toward the Ruhr and then the Rhine and then possibly into the Low Countries, maybe even France. Um, 
And so that's where the main punch was going to come. That group of Soviet forces in Germany, those were the first people to get T-80s. So T-80s would definitely be up against the British. Okay. Depending on exactly when you're talking about in the 1980s. I mean, also, this is a war that never happened. So the whole idea of, quote, historical realism kind of – you have to look at it through the lens. And then in the South – It's almost – you want it to be a what if. You know, you don't want to go, hey, there's spaceships like the Nachtwolf. Oh, Yeah. You know, let's not go there. But anyways. No. <laughs> so oh, do you think fun. 10 T-80s are enough to start with? Because that's, well, that's a, a company. company. That's a full company. Yeah. Three platoons of three in a command vehicle. A Soviet standard company is 10 of a vehicle. Okay. I put that in my shopping cart. All right. The, the, the British are at a slight disadvantage, though, because the British starter army, you know, the thing that you get in the starter, yeah? Yeah. Are only getting four chieftains. Right. Yeah. Already, already the, the the British just from the starter kit, the British are number three to one. Mm-hmm. But it is the chieftain, so you know. Yeah, but uh, okay. <laughs> you know, it'll chieftains be interesting to see. I, uh, John, close your ears. Chieftains, chieftains aren't all that. Yeah. <laughs> are, they really aren't. They're about a half a generation behind the rest of NATO tanks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because by the early 80s, you've got the British Chieftain, which was basically a late 60s tank. And all their stable mates at the time are the first American M1s, which are better. Just they're, they're newer. They came out in the 1980s. They came out 15 years later. And uh, the British, uh, I'm sorry, the West German Leopard 2s, which were even mm-hmm. better than the M1s at first. Um, remember, the first M1s had the L7 105mm rifle. So, yeah, the Chieftain's got a bigger gun than the M1 originally had, but, you know, no Chabam armor, doesn't have any of the big electronics, doesn't have, you know, a lot of these other, doesn't, certainly doesn't have the speed. And from what I'm hearing from British veterans, Ben Collins, um, uh, Andrew um, over there on Beast, you know, a bunch of other guys that I know, um, Andrew uh, uh, Lee, uh, Bruce Lee on the website, it, the Chieftain's um, the mechanical reliability is just abysmal. I mean, it's every every British army joke starts off with, "Well, did the chieftain start?" Um, Why is that with British automobiles and tanks? Sorry, Ralph, I couldn't help it. I'm not saying it. I'm keeping quiet. <laughs> every country in the world, if you look back through tank design, this goes into a little bit of you know, every country in the world has had certain pluses and minuses when it comes to designing it's tanks. It's very true. I it's mean, very the true. British in- invented, well, they call it a tank. It really wasn't a tank by the modern definition, but the British invented the tank. They've always had great armor. They've always had some of the best guns. 17-pounder is what made the Sherman, you yeah, know, actually. I was going to say, we, we built the chassis, and then they took it and improved it and made a yeah. great tank. The American the Americans have always had automotive reliability. You push the button on an American tank, that some bitch is turning over and smoke is coming out of the back. It's going somewhere. The Germans could never get that going. Even the Russians, for all their fame in that area, not as good as the Americans. The Americans always had terrible guns. We always had to borrow guns from the British. Uh, even after the war, the American 90 millimeter we had in the original M48s weren't as good as the British L7. By then, the British are already on the L7, 105 millimeter rifle. We carried L7s, British guns. We called it the M68, but we basically just bought a bunch of their guns and started building them under license. We carried their gun until we get to the mid-1980s, and we started buying from the Germans. Mm-hmm. The Americans haven't had a decent tank gun uh, ever. I mean, the Persian's 90 millimeter wasn't as good as the 17 pounder in some regards. Uh, certainly wasn't as good as the German 88, even though it's technically bigger. Um, 
the French always are the ones who are going to try something weird and wacky. They were the first people. <laughs> they were. They were the first people to put like the yeah. AMX-13, that oscillating turret. They, uh, they were the first people in my book. I'm going to draw some fire here. The British did not invent the world's first tank. The French did. The French invented the FT-17, the first tank. What's one of the one things that a tank needs to be considered a tank and not an assault gun or assault howitzer or a tank destroyer? It needs a fully revolving turret. FT-17 is the first tank with a revolving turret. And when Patton in World War One looked at everybody's tanks and he was going to build American tank corps, he said, you can keep all this British junk. We want these FT-17s. They're absurd. They're about the size of an SUV. They have a crew of two, and they can barely fit in there. It's got a tiny little gun, but it's got that fully revolving turret. And even back then, Patton, I don't usually say nice things about Patton, but even Patton could see. These are the tanks we're looking for. And again, it goes on and on and on and on. Is the M1 the best tank there ever has been, ever will be? Well, maybe not ever will be, but is yes, it is objectively, provably, and measurably, but only because it has an American engine it's got British armor, chopping armor. That's British armor. It's got a German gun, and it's packed full of Japanese electronics. It's and it's got the price tag to boot. Yep. You know, if you've got forty million dollars and you say I'm going to build as many, or you know, in real life, I'm going to buy as many Leopard twos as I can, and you're going to build as many M ones as I can, as you can. I think I'm going to win that fight because I'm going to have like eight Leopard twos versus your three M ones. Um. You know, the, the M1 is better than the Leopard 2, better than the Challenger, but not by enough to uh, justify its expense. Yeah. Uh, the M1 works because it's an American tank and it has an American price tag and American taxpayers behind it. So all that goes into, you know, how much did you buy for your um, for your Russians facing your British? Uh, you've already got enough because uh-huh. I don't think the Chieftain is as good as some people might think it was. Uh-huh. It will be able to handle triple its number in T-64s or almost triple its number, maybe. Those BMPs aren't nothing to laugh at. They carry eight – those are BMP-1s, you yeah. said? Yep. They carry AT-3 yeah. Saggers. Ask the Israelis what they think of the AT-3 Sagger. Yeah. Um, they call October 8th, 1973 Black Monday for a reason. They, you know, the entire Israeli tank corps in the south part of the Sinai was wiped out in a single day. They never even saw an Egyptian tank. They lost 300 tanks in a day, all to AT3 Sagers. Don't take those AT3s lightly. Um, again, I don't know how it's going to work in a game, but it, trust me, I wouldn't take AT3s. It's not going to be that bad as it was for the Israelis in the south because I'm assuming the Soviets are going to be on the attack. And as the Soviets are attacking towards you, it's much more difficult to use anti-tank guided weapons in the attack than in the defense because they don't usually fire while moving. You have to be stationary to be firing. It's best to fire them from undercover. So they're better in defense than attack. They're more like tank destroyers. Um but yeah, T-80s would be, uh, I wouldn't know if I would add T-80s to your army. I might use T-80s in lieu uh-huh. of your T-64s. And if you wanted to be realistic, I would not mix the two on the table because T-80s and T-64s would not be in the same company. Okay. When we were talking with Pierce. He was describing what you get in the original, in, in the in the group. And you, you got a mm-hmm. BTR company. You have, um, that's motorized infantry yeah mp1s that's mechanized infantry and that's the difference between those two Mm -hmm. and then you have a a company of tanks the soviets don't mix companies like that and except for one exception they usually build three companies of t80s together and that's a t80 battalion and whatever mechanized infantry motorized infantry battalion for this exception where they have one company of each that's a forward maneuver group an fmg okay 
That's that's in front of a Russian regiment that's at the spearhead of a battalion. These are this is their leading element. It's almost what we would call like armored cavalry. And their idea is the meeting engagement. They go out, they find the enemy, and they don't even really try to win. They just try to find the enemy, engage them in battle, and lock them in place. Long enough for Soviet tactical air or real Soviet maneuver forces to either sweep north and south of you and get you in a pincer. And that's it. You're finished. Um but that sounds like the force that's in the group. And I said, that's, I said to Pierce, I said, that sounds like a forward maneuver group. And he's like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So you got one company of tanks. You could change out those T-64s for T-80s. And then, yeah, just keep the BTRs and the BMPs. And that's your forward maneuver group for probably the lead mm-hmm. element mm-hmm. Uh, or sorry, the lead regiment of either a Soviet, uh, either tank division or uh, mechanized division, motorized division, I guess they would call it. Yeah. Would you add anything to the British side then to make it a little bit more even, or is we have to kind of hold that a thought until we get the rules and see how it plays out? Um, so the Soviets, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the British, um, maybe some more, uh, some more anti-tank missiles. Because those tanks are going to be thin on the ground, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I built these guys for British Gulf War. We ran with Damon a couple weeks ago, and I'm now forgetting. I might have to look it up. What the actual? Uh, it's it's a it's a type of either the Scimitar APC or something. I'll have to find it. Well, what they have um, offering right now is you get obviously a chieftain troop. There's the mechanized yeah. infantry. There's a scorpion troop and a striker troop. That's the offerings from the British right now. The striker is like the FV402. It's the one with the little rack of guided missiles in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Those are the swing fire. At the to- In the 1980s, I have a book from the 1980s called Tank Busters. It's a tragically out-of-date book. At the time, it was like cutting edge. Now it's like historical reference. But the swing fire, I'm looking at it right now. The swing fire missile was a lot more powerful than the Maverick, a lot more powerful than the Hellfire, a lot more powerful than the Tow. Those other missiles have like how many millimeters of 90 degree homogenous armor plate could supposedly get through. You get to the swing fire on that chart. I just remember this to this day. I'll open up the book and, and, and read it. Any known armor. Hmm. So yeah, any uh, as many of those as you can get. All right, and that's especially if you're in defense. If you're in attack, no, because again, you're gonna those little those tiny little strikers are gonna get killed. Um, I'm totally gonna have to find that that little reference. I've already done this research, but now I'm just failing my uh, <laughs> my, my, my 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 memory. You failed your role, Jim. You know, yeah. you failed your check. My my, my my wits plus tactics check here. Um. It's taking forever to open. Never mind. Um, yeah, so I, I, whatever that – I'm probably getting the name wrong right now off the top of my head, but it's the uh, – trying to open this folder here. It's the uh, it's the British small APC that has uh, the anti-tank guided missiles on the back. Uh-huh. I know the missile is the swing fire. You want those. Those those are going to help. Give yourself an extra troop of those, and that might handle some additional Soviet armor. Gotcha. Uh, and, then just, and then just try and stay in defense. Cool. I'll be interested to see how the the, the infantry handled in in the rule set. Um, yeah. How infantry yeah, of Foxtrot Victor One Hundred Two Striker is the one I'm thinking of. Um, yeah. Because it's it's interesting that yeah, Team Yankee has I could be wrong does have infantry rules, but I don't think they are. I've not seen many miniatures done for Team Yankee with the like the infantry sets and using infantry where this one seems to be it's it's that fully integrated you know infantry and support and tanks within this within this um especially within these starters 
Um, so I'll be interested to see how infantry is dealt with and how infantry deal with armor. You know, what what anti tank, what 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 yeah. tools they have. Because when you look at the the Russian, I mean, the Russians are getting sixty. Hang on, one second. I'll bring it up. Um, they're getting. Uh, it is eighteen fire teams. Nine BTRs. So you're getting yep. basically nine, nine squads. Nine squads of men for the Russians. The British are getting uh, da, 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 for uh, a single four squads, uh, seven fire teams. So that's basically four squads, a command plus three, eight man. Yeah, the, the infantry plus, is, plus the two for the scorpions as well because they're getting scorpions. This is a, a gross oversimplification, but NATO usually builds by fours and Soviets build by threes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, three squads, three platoons, that's a company. There's probably a command BTR in there somewhere that doesn't yeah. have a company. Yeah. Uh, that, that doesn't have a squad. It's like, give me your mm-hmm. commander, your radio man, and all that stuff like that. Soviet basic, um, like, they're, they're the beginning of their officer. This isn't exactly true, but the beginning of their command level for us is usually a, is usually a lieutenant with a platoon. And for the Soviets, it's usually what they call a senior lieutenant uh, for a company. A captain does not command a company in the Soviet order of battle. It's usually what they call a senior lieutenant. Um, it's like a first lieutenant in our, in our force, but that's usually a, a straight out company commander. And yeah, it's the F-107 Scimitar. The Scimitars are great. I love them. They're super fast. Um, I'm looking at my Gulf War forces now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just carries a gun though and no uh, and no no toes, no no Milans, no swing fires. It's yeah. one big difference between a Scimitar and say a Bradley or even a BMP. I'm not sure why they made that decision. I think the British like to specialize. And so they have their FV-102 strikers. And those are the ones mm-hmm. we were talking about a second ago. I just couldn't remember the number with, with certainty. FV-105 Sultan, that's going to be the command vehicle. Yeah. Um, and then I'm not sure when the Warriors started coming out, the MCV-80s. Um, well, we'll get the, you, maybe in, you can in this one, we've got the Scorpion. So I think the Warrior is... Mm, let's have a look. I think the Warrior was... Again, I'm in 1991. On. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, probably, I'm probably off by about a decade. Um, but yeah, as far as what to add to your British force, if, as long as you're in defense, yeah. Uh, and you just don't want to go crazy, just buy more tanks. <laughs> Where the hell, you know? Um, although that's always an option. Buy more tanks, get some Lynx attack helicopters, if they have them. Or no, if the FE-510 Warrior turned up in yeah. 19... It's ended service from 84. All right, so it's just after. Yeah. Probably just after. Um, um and it's in service now still. We oh, British yeah. Army still use the warrior now. Um Yeah, military technology is advancing pretty slowly in a lot of yeah. ways. Because there's no really big wars going on. Um and uh, yeah, either some links or uh, not wasp, it would be a lynx, I guess. Um the attack helicopters yeah. with some missiles. Um and again, maybe some more strikers. Uh we you could click the, the clock forward a little bit and maybe add some warriors or maybe even some challenger ones. That might help as well. So we'll be hunting for other ones in, in 10 millimeter. Yep. <laughs> but it's, right. it's, cool. it's really, I'm, I'm interested and I think yeah. the scale is going to be amazing. I think seeing large battles of this on the table is going to be amazing if you've got the table set up, you know, 10 millimeter. Um, oh yeah, like 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 a six by eight table and ten millimeter. Yeah. is gonna be it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, 
you know, you could see if the rules lend it, and we don't know how complicated the rules are, but a, a participation game of, you know, say a, a six by six or a six by eight, you know, game at a comp at a at a convention, you know, which is a participation game would be, I think, really interesting. Well, the way you were saying before, Ralph, about like how the game seems to be more seems to favor more integrated uh, like combined mm-hmm. arms tactics. Yeah. That's a, that's that's huge DNA right out of Battle Group. Mm-hmm. Battle group, all tank armies are basically illegal. It's like you want to have a what they call a company level force, 500 points. You need to have at least this many platoons of infantry. Yeah, you have to get that. Now you can go buy your big cats and your 88s and you know all your nonsense or whatever. But yeah, you have to start with a certain bedrock of infantry, no matter what. Um, I mean, that's just the rules uh, for list creation. Of course, players can play with whatever list they want. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to scare anyone away from battle group, but strictly by the rules, like an all tank army, that's just no, not legal. Yeah. Um, or at least discouraged. You know, they, they say, look, or I should say putting a lot of infantry in the right amount of infantry in your force is strongly encouraged. Might be a better way to put that. Yeah, because I'm, because I'm assuming and this is coming from somebody who isn't never been in the military, you know, has a, basic knowledge a little bit more is the fact that um, not having infantry in with this here a tank platoon as a case wouldn't give you the flexibility that infantry will get you especially to hold and take um, objectives especially if they're within built up areas towns cities whatever if you're trying to take if you're like in command of a tank company you know mm-hmm. say, say a Soviet tank company you're a senior lieutenant you've got 10 T-64s and you're trying to move into a West German town and there are British infantry in that town with anti-tank guided weapons mm-hmm. take a moment before the battle starts and write your last letter home yeah. Um, unless you got artillery or, again, now we're back in the combined arms. I mean, mm-hmm. straight out tanks versus infantry is not always a bad thing, but usually a bad thing because there's usually things on the battlefield called trees and buildings and hills and someplace for the infantry to hide. And it's also because you're a tank or I should say you're a tank force. You're supposed to be on the offensive. That's the only purpose of a tank. Tanks do not defend. They don't hold ground. They attack ground. And then infantry are supposed to hold the ground right behind the tanks or even with the tanks. So infantry on defense is their main uh, job. I mean, speaking very broadly. And tanks are on offense, speaking very broadly. And infantry on defense. Uh, this happened at the Team Yankee boot camp. Uh, I was walking in to do an interview and I walked past a bunch of built up buildings. Those those little, uh, those horrible drapes and buildings that uh, Justin built uh, for that, that game, G. Yeah. And we, uh, I passed a bunch of uh, Soviet tanks burning in front of a town with a whole bunch of American mechanized infantry with the toes and the dragons. And I'm like, who set that table up? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and we started doing the interview and um, I think I think it was you doing the video um, and it turned out it was Bruce Lee who actually um, had to do that for us versus uh, that would have been um, uh, bugger off uh, Mick yeah and I was like, oh, sorry. I was making fun of that table a second ago. I didn't realize it was you. But yeah, you don't, <laughs> you don't do that. Absolutely no. not do that. Um, yeah, so again, it's, it's just going to be one more thing that the game seems to be getting right. I'm excited. I really am excited and looking forward to it. So let's change gears a little bit and talk about the present versus the future. Uh, Ralphie, any uh, hobby updates from your point of view or news? Um. I've, there's no new news really um, I've not seen anything other than contra- Contact Front which we sort of covered um, are popping up I think it's all quiet now until 
the new new year. Um, the only uh, there is one piece of news was that Black Sight, our lovely sponsors, yep. got a new. There's a new set of Middle Eastern buildings came out. There was yep. a next set, um, which looked really good. I think there was a minaret in there um, and some other stuff as well to expand that. Is it Arabian Range or whatever they called it? I can't. I can't remember the name. You know, I'm I'm British. Uh, websites. <laughs> me um so but that that was uh sort of announced um there was a there's been a bunch of photographs as well from whichever convention it was last weekend where black site were at yeah yeah showing showing off the table and people playing um demo games of spectre on uh-huh. this table so there was that um hobby wise not much i've been doing a little bit of writing um i'm busy putting together a fictional task group for Spectre games where I can just say um, I've got say 10 minis they are of this force and I know what gear and things they've got so they're like pre-created so I'm busy finishing off that idea which is um, it's called task group main and it's a mixture of SES, SBS and SSR you, uh, Troopers is the idea I've got a little bit of fiction behind them yeah. and I went through and, went and had a look at what force is actually there so it's a mixture of British t- uh, 22nd SES I think it was 1st Regiment or 1st Battalion of the SBS and uh, some members of the SSR as well and just writing up a little bit of history things about them which has been quite interesting and then trying to break them down into you know what I've got using all my Spectre minis so when I've looked at my Spectre minis I went well there's Task, the task force of nomad minis well they fall into this title this this sort of unit and things like that so i've been having fun sort of doing that type of thing very cool so um speaking of black site did you see the pictures of the subway system or yes you, the tube as you guys call it so subway yes it looked really really nice it yeah. does um there was there was actually i think uh, one of the spectre games was being played on that as well yeah or someone was doing a Spectre game or a modern game. Might have been Spectre. Because um, well, I, I heard, because uh, Brian um, from mm-hmm. Black Sight uh, message and said, hey, are you coming down for this convention? I knew nothing of it, unfortunately. And Spectre was there. So the guys from Spectre <laughs> were there too. So, uh, But yeah, they were doing demo games in the subway. So it was like a, like the uh, SAS taking out some terrorists in the subway. You yeah. Know, like a dirty bomb or something like that. So <laughs> it looks really good. They, they're it doing does. really nice work. Yeah, I think as also as well as that they're, they're doing the 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 sort of saying about that subway set, and this is a little tangent going for the new FFG uh, Marvel miniatures game, Crisis Protocol. Uh huh. Um, and I think you know that's where they're, they're positioning that a little bit as well, so it can be used with that. So you could have you know the heroes running through the subway, trashing it and stuff like that. So nice. It's all good having this sort of multi sort of this modern stuff which can be used for both modern miniatures military and other modern types of game whether it be zombie or superhero or whatever yeah it's really good no it looks really good so um yeah they got a lot of nice stuff going on right now for uh all kinds of stuff so yeah jim how about you what's going on in your world uh well i'm working on my uh 1991 gulf war armies okay um or forces. Um, I've got my Marines all built. Um, I should say, yeah, they're built, primed, based, 
and uh, I should say base colored. And uh, the first wash and a couple other colors on there, they're not done, but they're getting close. Uh, I've also started my Iraqis. Um, we were messing around with those a little bit on the um, on the Thursday stream. Yep. Um, trying to put the tracks on them uh, or paint the tracks on them. I'm actually working on them right now. Um, so, yeah, there's a little bit of old school hobby going on. I've also got another thread going on um, Beast of War project thread where we're taking a bunch of stuff from you know like toys and junk and stuff that I bought at Historicon that was broken. I bought a lot of broken stuff at Historicon. Uh, that Blackhawk finally saw the light of day. I don't know if you saw that over there. No, I haven't seen that yet. No, uh, the one to 72 Blackhawk. Um, basically, they had a huge vendor hall at Historicon, and uh-huh. uh, a lot of the stuff they were selling was either broken or used or um, you know, banged up. Uh, someone tried to paint it and it didn't work or whatever. It was like aftermarket or whatever the, the term is for it. And yeah, it had a huge discount. So I had like an M41 Bulldog at like 1 to 32. This thing is like 11 inches long. Um, yeah, a lot of big stuff. Uh, I have an M60 from the Marine Corps Gulf 1 with the ERA panels at 1 to 32. That thing is like 15 inches long. Um, that was missing... Some of the suspension was broken. I had to respring some of the suspension. Uh, we had to uh, put, I had to make my own reactive armor panels because some of them were broken off and lost. I couldn't just reattach them. That um, Blackhawk needed some love. I have a um, old M42 Duster AA tank from the Vietnam era in 1 to 100. Uh-huh. I was going to add to my American um, Vietnam force that, again, needed some love. So, yeah, it's like, you know, uh, miniature ER or the, the miniature trauma center. I've been bringing in my miniatures, fixing them, buying new uh building new flying bases for my helicopters that got broken or lost or who knows what. And at the same time, trying to build up this, um, this Marine Corps slash Iraqi force. Uh, like we were saying with the T-80s versus M1s versus Chapetons versus, you know, what forces were up against what other forces. Uh, in fact, so I won't be having any T-72s. I know T-72s are very famous in the Gulf War, but the Marines did not go up against those. Yeah, um, they were they were they were too far to the west. Um, the the yeah, T-72s were northwest actually. They were all with the Republican Guard Division. So I'm up against straight out T-54s, some Type 59s, um, you know the Chinese knockoffs or whatever. Um, I've got some BTR-60s on the way. Um, uh, also infantry for both sides, Marines uh, and um, Soviets. I got a, it's all 15 millimeter, one to a hundred. It's a mix of, um, I know it sounds weird because I don't usually like to game big modern tank battles in 15 mil, but I may, I may not even ever use these guys on an actual table. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much just trying to build the forces that were on the um, the eastern side of that battlefield. So where, where the Marine Corps was for that for, for those battles, Iraqi Army Mechanized Divisions Battle of Al Kafji, uh, January of '91, and uh, and so on. I got a long ways to go. I probably won't even be done with this by the end of the year. But it is underway. I am working on it, um, and the, the 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 updates are going up over there on the site. And um, I'm going to definitely use the old. Uh, Antonio, I'm sorry, Suetonius Polinus trick. Who's that? Yeah, Andy Zek. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was having a very difficult time about a year and a half ago with my long range desert group, 28 millimeter from Warlord. Uh-huh. And it was basically a failed project. And I was like putting it up on the project thread going, oh, this stinks. You know, I'm going to quit. And he came on and he was like, look, I don't know why this works, but it works. This is, this is Andy talking, so you listen. He's like, I don't know why this works, but it works. Desert vehicles give them a light gray wash. And uh, it was like magic. I don't know why it worked, but these long-range desert group, like those Chevy uh, 30-weight, 30-hundred-weight uh, vehicles that you see them using, uh-huh. um, 
it's almost like the uh, grandfather of that uh, war pig that you were working on, G. It's almost that exact kind of truck, but in World War II. Okay. Um, I don't know what it was, but as soon as you slapped a light gray wash on it, that vehicle just came right back to life. A so, light gray wash, huh? A light gray wash. I was thinking maybe light sand or light beige or something like that. Light gray, for some reason, it just saves a, a desert vehicle. Um, really? And if it doesn't work, you can blame Andy. Cause, uh, okay, well, I'm going to put it on the war pig. <laughs> now I'm going to try it on the okay. war pig. Well, try it out. Try it on like some, some, some sprues or something first. Yeah. It worked for me once, and it really saved a vehicle that I kind of wrecked um but uh yeah uh reach out to andy i'm sure he'll uh, i'm sure he'll tell you because he's the guy who told it to me and it definitely worked for me i'm definitely gonna try it on on these guys awesome my marines came out a little too yellow they're they're almost like german russian uh russian front guys so i'm hoping the light gray will i mean it's not bad but it's a little too yellow by the time i slap this new brush on there or this new wash on there i'm hoping it'll desaturate a little bit get it back down to more um a yellowish sand like you know desert kind of color yeah and my, my iraqis i'm purposely doing a little too dark just so that they don't look exactly like my americans like i was saying on the stream the gulf war visually was kind of boring <laughs> was where, all vehicles were almost the, on both sides all vehicles were basically the same damn color yeah. um it's not like the good old days of the no napoleonic war you know and everybody in their bright colors so I'm I'm gonna fudge the Iraqi color a little bit just you know to give them a little bit of a of a pop. Yeah. But yeah, that that's going. And then tomorrow we have um, HK Ops again. Excellent. So I'm glad because uh, it was missed last uh, weekend. For those guys who follow programming every week, uh, we had a little bit of a lull last weekend. Um, you know, scheduling conflicts it happens, especially in RPG games. Oh yeah. Um, and it was missed because. The first episode was really great, and there's a lot of people going, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen now. So, you know, it, it's a story that you're following along with. It's almost like an audiobook. You, you, you want to follow the story, so. Yeah, um, it's not just that well, we have five people in the group, and I was trying to get this to be happening in, in one session. Um, it didn't happen, and that was actually a good thing. The character, the players got really into their characters. We really get into the whole... I mean, we already have like a little bit of a love triangle going on. We've got uh, intrigue. <laughs> no, we do. We've got an intrigue between one of... Uh, it's it's you're, The characters are playing um, uh, members of a, a brand new... Brand new members of a private military contracting firm. And there's already like a, a, a competing firm. So uh -huh. we work for um, Phalanx Multinational uh, Consultants. Yeah. Initials PMC. So I mean, you know, it's kind of on the nose, but <laughs> um, this is our first mission. We're not even technically a team yet. Uh, this is our first mission. This is pretty much okay. Well, they're going to give us some money, or they're, they're going to give our characters some money. But this is like like uh, the probationary trial team, uh, a trial mission. Like, so they're they're going to try and get this mission. They're down in cartel land down in Mexico, and uh, then it you know. We were gonna. We didn't reach the main battle at the end of the story. We didn't want to rush, so we said, "Let's do this." You know, two weeks from now. So we did that, and then uh, again, you know, things came up. You know, it's it's real life. So then two people couldn't play. So I was like, "All right, guys, I'm gonna call it for this week because three people versus what is waiting for us in this little cartel center is our stronghold." I could have just taken some bad guys out and like rebalanced the scenario, but much more importantly. 
I mean, when I play a war game, I play a war game. I'm math, I'm numbers, let the numbers fall where they might. I don't actually, I know this may sound unpopular, but I don't actually get into narrative in wargaming. I think what, narrative in wargaming is the job of the campaign game, not the actual tactical game. If you try to slap too much narrative in a tabletop game, mm-hmm. you're now going to be putting some Kentucky windage on the math, and that, that bugs me. Um, if you want narrative in a war game, that's why you have a campaign game. You string several war games together and you tell your story that way. For a role-playing game, I am exa- the photo-negative opposite. The hell with the system, the hell with the rules, you know, stick those numbers someplace, you know, warm and comfortable. I want to tell a story. And what really bugged me was that in part two of this episode, two characters were just kind of poof into a, pulp, in a, in a magic puff of smoke. They just weren't going to be there. Did they go to the bathroom? Did they, did they get lost with the G- when, the, when the GPS broke? I mean, what... <laughs> <laughs> Where did they go? Um, stuff like that bugs me in, in role-playing games. That's one of the big reasons I kind of set aside role-playing games uh, back in 2010 was, you know, trying to uh, rebuild and retcon stories around, again, it's all about the story when I when I play role When most people, I think, play role-playing games, certainly isn't my idea. Uh, it's a story, everything, story first, story first, story last. When char- important characters are suddenly appearing out of parallel universes or disappearing into them, that makes the story shaky. That damages suspension of disbelief. That makes the story incohesive. And um, it, it kind of bugs me. One person, I'll take the character over because the person's not just going to disappear. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll continue. That's actually what's happening tomorrow is we did have one person, unfortunately, it's not going to be able to make it. But four out of five, I can deal with. Three out of five, I didn't want to, I didn't want to screw up our first mission like that. Mm-hmm. So we just took one extra week. Tomorrow we're coming back strong and we're going to, uh, yeah, tomorrow's going to be the big, big gun battle that we were supposed to reach actually now three weeks ago and we just didn't get around to it. Um, but tomorrow is going to be, uh, tomorrow's going to be action packed. That's for sure. Excellent. So make sure you guys, uh, join us. Uh, it'll be uh, live on Twitch. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's going to be on Twitch. So it will have already been played by the time this episode goes, but, uh, the replay should be on YouTube. Yeah. Excellent. So, um, looking forward to that as well. Uh, you're doing a really nice job with that. You know, that's a project. I know we've kind of skirted around it. You know, maybe in lieu of um, an op center series, maybe you could do a series on uh, game creation. Okay. You know, something that you could take people through from initial concept to actual play. You know, something like that. Because I bet there's a lot of people out there that have ideas banging around in their brains, and they would like to know how to take it to fruition. So, you know, whether you publish it or not, but just, you know, have a group of friends around the table playing your game, it's pretty awesome. So, you know, that might be something to think about in the near future. Yeah. Um, When you steal from one, it's plagiarism. When you steal from many, it's research. (laughs) That's not mine. That's either Mark Twain or somebody else. Yeah. So anyone who looks at HK Ops is going to be like, he got that from this and he got that from this. And it's a it's a Frankenstein of like five different role playing systems kind of thrown together, which I think is the way a lot of games work. Uh huh. I don't think there's anything really completely new under the sun. But um, yeah, this is basically or even Dark Star sort of the same way. If you want to make up your own game, it's easier than maybe you think. Yeah. Just sit down with your friends or your intended audience or whatever at first and say, let's make a list of your favorite games or even your favorite uh, media from that genre. Like for Dark Star, it was science fiction, obviously. 
you know, what do you like and what do you not like? And you just make a shopping list and then you build your game around that. And then you can also, you know, boost elements from other game systems. Um, don't make it obvious and make sure that you, uh, I don't want to use the word steal, but make sure that you're inspired by many different sources. Because that's how, you know, spoiler alert, that's how most games are written. Nobody sits down with a blank sheet of paper and says, I have an idea. I mean, that's just not how it goes. Yeah. Um, D&D was basically stolen, ripped right off of Dragon Quest. Uh, you know, there's, there's just no way. Flames of War draws so many parallels from Panzer Blitz, it's not even funny. Um, it's not that obvious because it jumps from Hex Encounters over to miniatures. But trust me, <laughs> to the point where Panzer Blitz's mistakes, and yes, there are some Panzer Blitz mistakes, are kind of copied over into Flames of War. So when you even have the same mistakes, you know, it's clear that there's a lot of, you know, um, inspiration going on. And we do the same thing. Dark Story is not entirely original, and neither is HK Ops. And frankly, I don't think any game really is. So as far as like, you know, uh, I'm, we might come up with something for it later, but just for now, the first step, the very first prelude step to that question would be find, you know, make a list of what you really like in games that you already play and uh, make a list of what you don't like. Don't yeah. be afraid to not, no, don't be afraid to not include something. The biggest uh, um, improvement from Flames of War version three to version four is not the new things they invented; it's what they didn't bring over. They took a chainsaw to that system, and it was glorious. And that's why Flames of War version four, I think, is much better than Flames of War version three. It's what they didn't put in. So yeah, make a list of what you like, make a list of what you don't like, and start from there. Awesome. Sounds like a plan. So real quick, uh, hobby-wise for me, um, I've been obviously working on the War Pig, um, and then I just got an order in from Spectre Miniatures, uh, the U.S. Rangers platoon or squad, um, so I'll be working on those uh, hopefully Thursday night. Uh, did you get the optics for them as well, Jay, or did you not bother? Uh, no, I didn't order optics for them, so um, I don't know. I can always print some. I have a 3D printer. Yeah. I have a resin printer, so I could always print some. I, you know what? I'll be honest with you, Ralph. I never even thought about it. I just assumed they came with them. I didn't know they had to be done separately. Um, they, they might have, um, because I know in the later ones I expect I did, you had to, but you, they, they separated them out because I think some people didn't necessarily want them uh -huh. on their minis. Did so. I could be wrong, but. Um, if not, you know, they're, they're not difficult to print out. They're not difficult to do, really. I just know they are finicky to put on, which um, I use Andy's method of, of attaching them, which was a little bit of um small amount of green stuff on Milliput. Uh-huh. Then a little bit of super glue as well oh, to make sure okay. it sticks. And, then, you know, they, they go, they, it works fine. Are we talking about, like, the night vision stuff that sits on top of the helmet and snaps yeah. down? Yeah. Mm -hmm. is, is there any way, like, you couldn't just build that yourself? I mean... Yeah, obviously 3D printed, but like from like, yeah. uh, I don't know, sprue pieces or something. Oh, of course. I mean, we're, we're talking about 20 million. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, I mean, for my spets, that I had a bunch of Russian, uh, Empress Russian heads with the single optic. So what I did was slice off the symbol, a single optic and put them on my, uh, my spets nuts that I've got from Spectre. So they've got all got the single optic because I was using that as an, I've got a, it's either a hot toy or one of them. I've got a pitch on Pinterest. And it's either a hot toy or one of the other, you know, the Action Man style, J.I. Joe style uh, figures um, and Spetsnaz and all of them have got the single optic, which looked really cool. So I went down the single optic route for them. I meant to mention, I, I finally started working on that boat. Oh, yeah? 
We're talking about that boat like a hundred years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so I got, I got like three, I got a pack of six, uh, 20 millimeter, 50 cows. I put two of them on the front, uh, on a little mount swivel mount with magnets. And then I have like four extra 50 cows now. So I put two of them on these little gun stations on top of the pilot house, uh, port and starboard. And then I've got two 20 millimeter cannon. I want to put on the back on another swivel mount. The damn things haven't arrived in the mail yet. So I'm hanging fire on those, but yeah, that boat is finally, uh, I mean, God, that was like, what, two years ago I bought that stupid thing? Uh, we're, we're finally uh, actually making some progress on that. Excellent. Excellent. So that's so how, much what how, I've been up to. Um, other I was than, going to ask uh, you, how's your, um, your, flights, your flying going with your oh, VR you what, experience? Um, Jim, if you have not caught any of the video, I don't know if you had it or not. It's Because I can't be flying in VR and monitoring Twitch and everything, but... Holy I saw you doing. Moly. I saw you flying. Like I think it was a Tomcat over uh, over Al Khalifa or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was uh, like, and then you were like buzzing the tower. I'm like, please don't do a 911. <laughs> that's that's not. <laughs> please don't get us in that kind of trouble. Oh, so uh, yeah. I, um, so for whatever reason, um, you know, we, we're trying to span out, and you know, Tuesday nights like video game night uh, for modern stuff. So. I've had DCS World sitting on my computer for since, you know, a year or so. And I played it once previously because it's it's hard to play on just a regular keyboard. Um, so I got this itch and I went out and I went full steamboat. I bought a brand new computer uh, that can handle VR. Uh, I bought an Oculus Rift S. I bought the Lotus Warthog, the pedals, the whole nine yards, right? Uh, the first time I sat in the in the warthog, I was like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> I mean, it felt like you were yeah. in the cockpit. And then, um, so where are the Russian tanks? Uh, Show me some Russian tanks. So there's one fire, and I'm telling you what, it's not a video game because there's a, a instant mission they call it, where you have to fly air support. Well, you're not flying air support, but you're flying ground attack uh, for some F-16s or something that's coming in to bomb a target. And so you got to take out, you know, AA and all this other stuff. And I and there was, oh, it's not easy at all. Uh, and I mean, there's yeah, there there is a difference between a computer game and a video game. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, in VR, I I got hit. One of my engines went out. I went into no spin, and I could feel myself cringing in my seat as I'm getting ready to impact. I mean, it, it felt so real. Um, I, and I'm not a person that normally gets motion sickness, but I did a couple tight gene turns, and my stomach started queezing up. And I'm like, holy moly! Um, oh yeah. So it's it's an amazing experience. Um, I'm still learning, you know, because I've, I've been doing the training in the A-10. I have the F-14. The modules are expensive for the aircraft. They're like yeah. $80 a piece. Yeah, I looked at the full price on Steam for the whole lot. Yeah. Because the, the base game or the, the DCS is actually free. Yes. I think it was all, and it's all of the plug-in modules, the campaigns. Yeah. And that had a... But a bundle buy, and if you look at the bottom of Steam, it's like two thousand pounds. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, oh, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, once every, you get into the aircraft, everything. Once you get into the aircraft, it's amazing. I mean, because all its switches and everything work mm -hmm. uh, just like it typically would in a real aircraft. Uh, so I have the F fourteen. I now have the F sixteen, and I have, or not the F sixteen, the F eighteen, and I have the A ten. So. 
Um, I did the F-18 was uh, over Dubai. Um, okay. And I tell you what, that was amazing. I knew nothing about the aircraft other than, you know, I don't know where the controls were. I didn't know anything other than, okay, this is the stick. This is the rudder pedals. This is, and half of that stuff isn't programmed properly. So I was flying. I couldn't land. I had to eject or crash because I couldn't land because the rudder pedals were actually my throttles and it was all crazy. So it takes a while to get it set up, but it's, if, if you're into a real life, this is a sim. This isn't a video game. This is a real simulator. Um, it was amazing. So I'm, re- I'm really enjoying it. It's uh, quite an experience. So It is. We, we've got uh, our work at uh, one of the local universities. And we've got recently we bought, we've got two Rift S's uh-huh. with high spec laptops for anatomy. Because um, there's some free software that teaches human anatomy. Um, because the the part I work in for the university, I work in the Faculty of Health and Life Sciences. We've got eight Oculus Quests, uh-huh. which we're looking at for portable, uh, the way of doing portable VR experiences. And we've got 16 Oculus Go's, which are the grey. Imagine what you used to do with your cardboard, you know, where you would put your phone inside of a cardboard and have that experience. Yeah. Um, but it also has an app store on it as well. And we've been putting 360 videos on them and just putting the VR experience on, especially for the human anatomy stuff. It's just, it just changes um, the way from my point of view, it, che- it changes the way that we teach or where we are going to get our academics to engage with the students to teach that. Cause you get an experience that you couldn't teach traditionally, but things like DCS and things like that, it just, it just changes that whole perspective of what you can do with technology to bring people into a another environment, which is the whole idea behind it. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's quite impressive what you can get these days. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I've been up to. So any last thoughts, anybody, uh, before we close out the show today? No, I think I think is the next one of the are we planning a Christmas episode? Uh, yeah. Are well, we going to chat? I know we've got some time, but it's creeping up very quickly. I know because, uh, we, um, you know, Thanksgiving's uh, in two next weeks week for us. Um, and I know Gaz will be joining us for that show. So he'll still be here. So when we record for that one. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, we need to start looking at a Christmas episode. What did you have in mind for a Christmas episode? I don't know. Mm. Perhaps you know we'll we'll maybe get some guests and yeah. just do a re- just do a, a, a review of the year because I think it's been you know from my point of view and I don't know about you guys but it's been a really good year, um, a really interesting year when it came to modern miniatures yeah. and just modern gaming generally. Um, you know, from a video game point of view, the launch of the new Call of Duty, which has done really well. Yeah. Um, from a narrative side, uh, you know, multiplayer side, the narrative of that game is really well written and really well put together so you know there's that plus Spectre v, Spectre V2 dropped this year and things yep. like that so you know and we had uh, Collins Kickstarter this year as well didn't we yeah yeah at the beginning of the year so maybe we look we go over that as a view but it's something that we can discuss off the stream of course of course and Jim I think for end of year wrap up uh, I think we should do the top 10 episodes of the Op Center uh, you know we can do that based on uh, views or you know streams or whatever uh, we can do that as a wrap up as well um, maybe maybe top five top five okay 
Because there's only been 12 episodes, so <laughs> if we do top 10, then the, those other two are going to feel bad. Uh, okay. Yeah, so, I don't know why I thought there was more than just 12. It, I don't know. Uh, it just, you were well, There's out. a lot of content. There, there's yeah, a lot of content that we've been doing besides top centers. But. <laughs> no, I just, you know, as a wrap up, you know, the, the top five, um, you know, most viewed, whatever we want to do it, you know, just to get people uh, that may have not had a chance to look at them, get them interested in looking at them and, you know, things like that. So, uh, yeah, definitely we'll do some kind of Christmas end of the year stuff. And Jim, before I forget, happy birthday. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, do you know what I'm ta- referring to? Oh, yeah. Oh, November yeah. 11th, 1775, yep. Tom Tavern, Philadelphia. <laughs> so it's the uh, Marines, what, 244th birthday? Oh, uh, whatever 1775 <laughs> minus 2019 is. So uh, happy birthday to the wow. U.S. Marines uh, because they never let us forget it's their birthday every year. <laughs> Oh, hey, we were founded in a tavern, so that tells you all you need to know. <laughs> so, uh, guys, I appreciate you taking time and uh, getting together for a nice, great chat. So to everybody out there, thank you for continuing to support us. We hope you enjoy the content. Uh, to our Patreon supporters, this show could not be possible without you. And to everybody else, we will see you in the next show. Take care.